0: Well, I am a, uh, you know, we we had an interesting week this week. Um, I had some extra time to spend with my boys this week, and that wasn't necessarily planned ahead of time. Uh, so Thursday night, Faith's at home with our boys, and I'm up here uh, with our our worship team, and we're just planning uh, some things for the future. And I get a phone call that says I need to come home in in haste. And I get there, and uh, Faith and I had always joked that, um, you know, knock on wood at this point, but. For nine plus years of being parents, we haven't had any stitches yet. We haven't had any broken bones yet. And so I got a call saying that Phillips, our four-year-old, has smashed his finger in the door, and it looked like it was broken, and it wasn't a normal normal smashing. So I went home, and sure enough, I take him to the uh, urgent care, and they do an x-ray, and man, he is just crying the whole time. He's in pain, and you know he had some Tylenol, and they do an x-ray, and sure enough, he had a fracture in his finger. And uh, so then... Before, before he left the house, uh, one of his brothers said, well, maybe when you're at the hospital, they'll give you a bionic finger, you know, and uh, so we get to the hospital, and they bring out a, 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 a splint to put on his finger, and his eyes lit up, and he was just so excited because he was getting a bionic finger, and I'll tell you what, he hasn't wanted to take this thing off all week, and he can't, but this thing will shoot lasers. Um, it does all sorts of stuff, so In saying that, though, I would, you know, he'd certainly appreciate your prayers. We're going to go back Tuesday, and he's going to have a follow-up. And, you know, over the years, we've had um, just so many uh, memorable moments with our kids, and I'm sure it's no different in your life. And one of the memories that I just, I really enjoy, I love to think about, is when Micaiah, our our oldest son, when he's about two or three years old, um, we were noticing just in our house, and maybe you've experienced this, you know, I was, I was working a lot, I just didn't have a lot of time with, with my kids other than in the evenings and on the weekends. So we started uh, a, a kind of a family tradition, what we call Bible time with dad. And uh, I've shared this story uh, maybe one other time with some people in the church. But uh, when I get off work in the evenings, we would open up his Jesus Storybook Bible before bed. So he'd brush his teeth, take a shower, you know, get ready for bed. We'd open up the Jesus Storybook Bible, and we'd just take it chapter by chapter. And it's so awesome because it's illustrated and, you know, it's it's read in a way that the kids can understand. And uh, what I noticed is he looked forward to this every single night. And then as the kids got older— um, you know they would look forward to it as well, and I'll be the first to admit, just like anything with with families, you know, there are seasons that you're really consistent with things, and there are seasons that you're not so consistent with things, and we've certainly had that uh, with with Bible time with Dad. But one thing I, I recognize and I remember from these early times is that. Um, he always looked forward to this, and if for some reason Faith and I were trying to find a way out of it, you know, or if he if he thought that maybe we weren't going to read the Bible tonight, he called us out. He let us know that no, we're we're going to read this before bed, and he was he was really excited about it. And I began to notice that um, he really believed that there was something different about this book. There's something different than you know when we go to the library and we check books out and we read them. There's something special and unique about God's Word. You know, God's word is, is unique and special because of how it came to be. Uh, we read in, in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, uh, verse 16 and 17, it says that all scripture, not, not just part of it, but all of scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Sometimes we stop there, but it goes on to say, so that the servant of God, I would say so the follower of Jesus, may be thoroughly equipped every good work. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, there, there are 66 books that make up uh, one overarching story that we know as God's Word. And while there are dozens of, of human authors, we believe wholeheartedly that the Bible is divinely inspired by God. It is God-breathed. And we believe that there's one author of the Bible And like many of the other popular books throughout history, I was trying to think this week of some of the big names, and I think naturally my mind went to like a tale of two cities uh, to kill a mockingbird, and then, you know, in the past ten years or so, uh, The Hunger Games. (laughs) All right, just a show of hands this morning, and you don't have to be afraid. Uh, How many of you have read The Hunger Games books? All right, so more than I thought. Now remember, I said popular books. I didn't say good books, so... But like a lot of these books, my wife loves those books, by the way. So, but there are, like, like these books, there, there are patterns and themes. There's repetitive images throughout God's Word. And these themes and images, they're, they're used to teach really important truths uh, for our lives and, and truths that are meant to be applied and lived out in our everyday life. And when we begin to pay attention to these themes, we, we begin to understand that there's so much more for us to learn and, and apply than what we just read on the surface level. Maybe a verse that we read and, you know, our, our, our daily verse that we get or, you know, there's so much more to God's word uh, than just that. That's, that's why we set aside eight weeks to study the Beatitudes. You know, I know there are great messages out there that, that seek to tackle the truths that we find in the Beatitudes in one message or two messages. And to be honest with you, when I started to look at the Beatitudes, I even told Matt this. I said, I have no idea how I'm going to preach uh, one message for each one of these verses. And I remember he said, well, that's just where you got to learn to get creative. And uh, it, it kind of scared me. But then as we got into it, I ended up preaching longer in these messages than I ever have. I think one of the messages was like 40 minutes or something. And for me, that's, that's kind of long. But th- that's why we, we do that sometimes. We take a little bit closer look. We kind of grab a magnifying glass, and we see how uh, certain stories connect throughout Scripture because there's so much more that God wants for our lives than what we just maybe see on the surface or what we hear about when it comes to the church and, and faith. There's this intimate and this deep relationship, this love relationship that God has called us to. Every single one of us can know what that is like. You know, reading the Bible for what it is, uh, the, the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God, especially right now around Easter time, is a really good habit to get into. In fact, if you have your, your smartphone or your tablet, if you open up the Bible app, they've got reading plans and studies that you can do throughout the week. This is a great time of year uh, to just rededicate yourself to being in God's Word, just being submerged into the Word of God every day, whether that's five minutes, ten minutes, or, or maybe an hour, whatever it is. But if ever there's a time when we're tempted to take an individual story and, and examine it for what it is, but apart, from the greater story of Scripture, I believe that it's the Easter story. You know, if, I, I wasn't raised in the church going to church every single Sunday, but we had a church that we considered our church home, and we went on Easter. We went on Christmas and sometimes throughout the year for sure. Um, but I, I remember, you know, hearing the Easter story every year. And just like Matt was talking about with, with communion, I think sometimes we, we revisit a story, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't affect us like it used to. I think that if ever there was a time where tempt, we're, we're tempted to take a story and, and read it or examine it, apply it for what it is, but apart from the greater story of Scripture, it's the Easter story. So my goal and, and the aim for this new series is that for the next few weeks, um, we're going to take a, a closer look at the Easter story and specifically some of the, the important themes that we see uh, that show up in the Easter story. And we're going to see how they connect throughout the rest of God's word. So for this first message today, um, we're actually going to go back just a day or two before the crucifixion and death of Jesus, and we're going to look at the story on this Palm Sunday um, of the Last Supper. This is the, the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he would have been arrested, tried, and then crucified on Good Friday. Now, most of us have are probably familiar with, or at least have heard about, the four Gospels in the New Testament—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—and all of these books. Uh, really, the the central theme or purpose is to teach us about uh, the birth, uh, the the life and ministry, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And and what's interesting, though, about all of these books is how much time is devoted to the last few days of Jesus' life. Again, all four Gospels spend time talking about the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. But they all spend a significant amount of time, uh, more than you might think, talking about the last few days of Jesus' life. In fact, all four Gospel writers recognize that what happened between Thursday and Sunday is so crucial, so critical for Christians. So for today's message, we're going to look at Matthew's account of the Last Supper. And his, his, his account of the Last Supper, it starts in Matthew chapter 26, specifically in verse 27. So if you have your Bibles, you can, I'd like to invite you uh, to turn to Matthew 26. If you have your smartphone or your tablet, you can also follow along on the screen today. So this is, this is what we read when, when, it, when his account begins the story of the, the Last Supper. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, "Where do you want us to prepare the passover meal for you?" So, this is one of those those verses that I think at first glance, we typically skip over this. It's like a filler verse. We don't usually take a message and and study and talk about a verse like this. Uh, But it actually gives us a lot of insight into this first theme that we're going to talk about today, a theme that's not only in the Easter story, but a theme that we see all throughout God's Word. So in this verse, Matthew is telling us about how Jesus and his disciples were preparing to participate in a Jewish holy day. It's a holiday that you and I would know as Passover. And as Matthew describes this this historical account, he draws our attention to something that we might normally skip over. You see, this, this isn't just a holiday celebrating the Passover. This is a holiday or a holy day that's called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. It's also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So in this message series, bread is going to be the first major theme that we talk about. And you might think, why in the world would we talk about bread? What, what does that have to do with Easter? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to talk about today. So bread is the first theme. and th- This theme is significant all throughout God's word. And in fact, it first shows up all the way back in the book of Exodus. So you have Genesis and then Exodus. So all the way back in Exodus. And I believe that God intentionally puts this image in strategic places for a specific purpose. And as we're going to see throughout this series, that, that purpose, the overarching purpose, is so that you and I would have a bigger picture of who God really is about his character and his nature. So in the story of Exodus, all the way back in in the Old Testament, God's people had been slaves under really harsh Egyptian rule for generations. In fact, the, the generation that was alive at this time, that's all they would have known. Slavery is all they would have known. And when the people, uh, they, they, they see their situation, and again, for generations, they, they cry out to God, they pray to God, and they're praying for, for deliverance that God would somehow miraculously provide a way for them to be uh, lifted from under this harsh Egyptian rule. So when the people cry out and they lift their prayers to God, praying for deliverance, God actually raise up, raises up one man, and many of you probably know this story, his name is, his, is Moses, And he ends up becoming really the voice, God's mouthpiece uh, to, to the Egyptian Pharaoh for God's people. So during this, this time, Moses, he, he has all these excuses of why he's not good enough. He has no idea how he's going to tell Pharaoh about who God is. He's not, he's not a very good uh, speaker. He's not a good communicator. God actually sends a guy named Aaron to go with him on this mission. And uh, time after time, he, he has this, this front row seat. He's got the full attention of Pharaoh explaining about how God has sent him to be his mouthpiece and how God uh, has heard the, the prayers and the, the cries of his people. And it's time for God's people to be delivered. Well, of course, Pharaoh refuses and refuses and, and refuses. So uh, really to demonstrate his authority and his, his power and just the awesomeness of God, uh, God sends 10 plagues um, that really highlight who God is. And after these 10 plagues, the last of which involved the killing of all the firstborn, so this would have been uh, from, from the livestock all the way to Pharaoh's son, Pharaoh finally sees that Moses is right. His God is, is so much bigger than any of the Egyptians' false gods. In fact, he's so big, Pharaoh decides uh, to do What Moses is asking, really without hesitation. So without much thought, Pharaoh tells Moses just to take his people and leave. They had no time to pack, they had no time to prepare, they were in such a hurry, they would have left behind everything that their lives had amounted to up until this point, following this, this one guy, this one leader, out from a place that they, the only place they had ever known as home, even if it was a life of, of slavery, even if it was a life of difficulty. Can you imagine just dropping everything? Everything and In fact, th- this celebration, there-, there is a celebration of this event. It's called the Passover because God passes over the homes of the Hebrew people during this final plague, uh, sparing their firstborn sons. But it's also called the Feast or the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And this is, this is where it starts to connect. This is so cool. It's called that because it's a reminder uh, for how quickly the Hebrew people had to leave Egypt. There literally was no time uh, to allow for their bread to rise, all right, to take food with them. So instead, they ended up making flatbread or unleavened bread, and that's what they would take with them on this journey. They were in such a rush that there wasn't even time to bake a meal to take with them. That's how fast they had to leave. So in their urgency, they made this flatbread and, and they left. And the Exodus, this, this great escape from Egypt, really is just the beginning of this story and, and the beginning of this theme that we see all throughout God's word. And bread isn't just used in the name of the feast that we read about. In fact, it uh, just a little bit later, it doesn't take long for God's people uh, to see that now free from Pharaoh and free from their hard work as, as slaves, they begin to look back on their time in Egypt, and they do so with, with fondness. Like, they long to be back where they were. Now, you have to remember, they would have had, uh, you know, their stomachs were full. They would have had a roof over their head. Their, their basic needs were taken care of, and they were finding that wandering in the desert was pretty difficult. They didn't have the resources that they once had. They didn't have uh, the kind of food that they once had. So, in their wandering, in their roaming, they start grumbling and complaining Uh, first to each other and we find out later that that doesn't get you anywhere in fact God would rather you grumble and complain uh, to him instead of gossiping and complaining to one another so they take their grumbling and complaining uh, to God and God hears them God hears them he hears their complaining he hears their their grumbling and he decides to send this this food that they've never seen uh, from heaven now, the, the Hebrew people, they call this food manna. And, and this word, it literally means, what is it? All right? They've never seen this in their life. And it kind of reminds me when Faith and I moved here from Oklahoma, all right, the first time we heard about lefse. All right? We, we get here, that's manna for us. All right? We get here, and it's like, what in the world is this? Like, what, you know, I begin to look back with fondness on the the barbecue and the steak and the, and now we have lefse. <laughs> what is this? (laughs) I I imagine that's what they were saying. It's like we're used to the things that we had. This is a whole new food group, right? It it was completely new for them. And even though this food wasn't familiar, this is the important part. And and this is where I don't want to lose you today. You got to hear this. The message that God was sending was very clear. His message is this, that I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I, I didn't lead, lead you clear into the desert to, to abandon you or, or, or desert you. I brought you here so that you would learn something new about me. I, I'm, I'm your God. I've always been your God. I believe that God is saying you can count on me to provide for your daily needs. You know, this, this isn't the last time that you're going to have to trust me but it's the first time that you're going to have to depend on something so basic and so, uh, yet so necessary for survival. I believe God's saying that what you, what you have to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner is not beyond me. These are, these are the basic things that we tend to worry about and complain about. God's saying your, your, your daily needs, hear this church, your daily needs are not beyond me. I will provide you know, while this wouldn't have been a new idea for this group of people, um, while this would have been a new idea for this group of people who didn't fully understand yet what it meant to trust in God's complete care for their lives, it's also not the last time that God would work to get their, their attention when it comes to trusting Him alone as provider. If, if, in fact, if you fast forward just a couple thousand years like, that's no time at all, right? But you just you fast forward a couple thousand years, not long before the Last Supper, Jesus is seen teaching on a hillside, and he's doing so reminding his listeners about these, these promises that had been passed down from, from generation to generation. He's reminding them about the stories that had been passed down um, from, from mother and father to, to son and daughter, all through the generations. Once again, we see the theme of bread front and center as Jesus teaches his people how to pray. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, we read these words. It says, this then is how you should pray. And this is, this is a pattern of prayer that God gives us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we get to verse 11, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but he, he says, give us today Our daily, what is the word? Bread. I believe that Jesus is referring back to his people in the desert. I do. I I believe that when the issue was doubt over whether or not God would provide for his people, Jesus teaches listeners these words. Give us today our daily bread. See, God's people in Exodus, they were worried. They were, they were worried that their stomachs wouldn't be full. They were worried that their needs wouldn't be met. They were worried that they wouldn't be kept alive. And I think most of all, they were worried that this, this promise that God had given them generations earlier, that he was going to deliver them to a new land, a new home, they were worried that God wouldn't fulfill his promise. And then thousands of years later, a couple thousand years, and, and in this, this prayer in Matthew 6, it's reminding us that God provided for his people's needs in the past. God will provide for the needs of his people in the present. That's a promise that you can claim. And God will provide for the needs of his people in the future. It's, it's an amazing story. Again, another time that we see this theme of bread show up. And then if you go to to John's gospel, so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see another reference to bread, one that's not found in any of the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And here Jesus is actually trying to escape this crowd of people, a large group of people that had just benefited the day before uh, from Jesus multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish. And the people, here's what you got to understand about this story, the people's appetite was satisfied physically, but their spirits are just as hungry as the day before. Jesus met a need physically so that he could show a greater need spiritually. And these people, they're they're curious. They're curious if this man, this Jesus, can do for them tomorrow what he did for them the previous day. And again, I think they're just thinking about their stomachs. They're just thinking about the, the physical food. And so we get to John chapter 6, verse 35, and this is what we read. It says, Then Jesus declared... I am the, the what? I am the bread of life. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This group of people, they enjoyed this smorgasbord of a, of a meal, this amazing meal that Jesus provided just the day before. But this meal, as great as it was, it didn't satisfy long term. So Faith and I, we went to Olive Garden yesterday. Can I get an amen? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was good. We saw a commercial, and it sucked us in. But we went. That's how it always works, isn't it? All right? They have these new dishes out, and this one, it's like a giant meatball. Maybe you've seen the thing. And Faith was like, i got to get this meatball. I've just got to do it. And said, what my baby wants, my baby gets. So we went and got the meatball. And uh, it was too much food, though. But we were satisfied Physically, we, it met all of our expectations. It exceeded all of our wildest expectations. We brought it home, and I ate it again last night. It was so good. But here's the truth. I'm going to be hungry at lunchtime today. <laughs> I'm going to be hungry again. It, it, it didn't satisfy long term. See, bread has to be eaten physically to sustain life. So it's no wonder why Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He's teaching the crowds that our spiritual hunger and thirst can only be sustained, it can only be satisfied through a right relationship with Jesus. And just like bread has to be eaten to sustain physical life, Jesus has to be invited into our daily walk, our daily lives, to sustain and satisfy the spiritual hunger and thirst that every one of us have been born with. We were created for worship. That's that's why, you know, you go to countries... um, unreached people groups and there still are unreached people groups in the world but you go to these these tribes and these isolated groups of people and you find them worshiping something they've had no contact with the outside world and I, I wholeheartedly believe that that's something that God has put in this that we were created for worship but so often we worship the wrong things we worship our job or we worship a, a, a person other than Jesus or we worship money or you fill in the blank. And these people were only thinking about their physical need, and Jesus says, no, no, like God will provide for your needs, but there, there's a need that's even greater. And just like bread has to be eaten to sustain physical life, Jesus has to be invited into our daily walk to sustain and satisfy our spiritual lives. So this leads us to the Last Supper. This is where we started today, the, the celebration of the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And here, as, as Jesus undoubtedly anticipates what the near future would hold for him, he participates in a holy day that evokes so much more meaning than the rest of the men around the table probably even realize, more than they can comprehend. And that's when we watch this scene begin to unfold. It's a scene that we see painted on, 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 on famous paintings. We, we have them in our homes, and we think about, you know, a few times a year, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying this, take and eat. This is my body. While the disciples may not have understood what the next day's Uh, would hold for Jesus or or what the next few days would look like for themselves, you can be sure that Jesus' words struck a chord with them that day. If you write anything down today, I would have you write this down. This is really the, the purpose of the message today, and that is that when it comes to the theme or the image of bread, God's message is simple and clear. I will provide Jesus is saying that I will provide. Jesus is sharing in one of the most holy Jewish holidays, sharing a meal with his disciples and praying together to show them, here it is, church, that he is the bread. He is the bread. God provided bread for his people when they fled Egypt and and they were wandering in the desert. He taught his people how to pray by reminding them about God's faithfulness through the theme and the image of, of bread. Jesus provided for the physical needs of thousands of people by multiplying bread. And now he's teaching his people that he is the bread. His his body broken is our provision. His body broken is our provision. And as Jesus shares this meal with his disciples, he's showing them how God has always provided for their physical needs. But now, and this is the important part, what they need is something so much more than physical food. What they need is so much greater than a trip to Olive Garden. (laughs) They need Jesus. They need his death. They need him on a cross, bloody and bruised. At the cost of Jesus' life and ultimately in his resurrection, the message for us today is this, that God will provide. The Last Supper is important, not just because it was the last time before Jesus' death that all the disciples would would gather together. That's typically how we think about the Last Supper, but it's important because it really is the, the culmination of a story that started long before the disciples even arrived on the scene. This is something that God had in the works, that God had in the, in, in the plan since the creation of time itself. In a lot of ways, it's the resolution to a question that had been lurking in the back of the minds of every person from every generation. And that question is, is God enough? Will God provide? Does, does God care about me and the situation that's going on in my life right now. Church, I would say that because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we are given the answer to these questions. And it is 100 times over, yes, God is enough. Yes, God cares. Yes, God will provide. We have a God who sees and knows our needs before we even ask. And he invites us into this this love relationship. He acts on our behalf for his glory and for our good. And the Last Supper reminds us about this awesome truth that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is our, our, our daily bread. Jesus is our bread in all things. A reminder that God is never too far. He's never too busy to be concerned about the needs of his people. And the greatest need that we have is not the hunger and the desire to go to Olive Garden. The greatest need that you and I have as individuals is for the broken body of Jesus to meet our spiritual need, to make right the broken relationship that we have with God because of sin. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that God is faithful. God will provide My charge for the church today is this, trust Jesus with your life. Allow him to satisfy a hunger and thirst that nothing else can satisfy. We just got done with the Beatitudes and we talked about how happiness, according to the world, is is found in our circumstances. And I would say that no, according to Jesus, happiness and joy is found in Christ. He can fulfill that hunger and that thirst like nothing else can. It doesn't go away. It's a lasting hunger and thirst that is filled. Trust Jesus with your life today. The image of bread is the first thing that we're talking about in this series. And maybe when you're at lunch today, if you have some bread, maybe when you're at home, maybe when you take communion next Sunday when you come to church, I want you to think about this, this truth that Jesus is the bread, that his body broken is our provision, that God will provide